the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, Wednesday, August 16th, 2023. I am Seth Leapson. Uh, I see David Dahl to my west, my producer. I don't know where Mr. Bill is. He's learning new technology. They've been doing a lot of technological updates around here, and uh, hopefully it's been seamless for the listeners uh, as I learned the new systems myself here. Um, you've been doing great at it, David, but... One of the updates has now empowered me to do something which I love. Evan, help us. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Folks, once in a while, young David will send me a noisome text through this, through this little system we have here, and I could do nothing about it. I had no power over it. He would send me these noisome texts, vexing texts, that um, I had to ask him to delete. Now I can Oh, no. Yeah, we have been empowered. And you'll see what it's – and now, uh, similarly, by the way, um, Mutatis Mutandis, I can now send you texts and see how you like it. Now I've been empowered to do that too. I got a lot of um, great feedback. I did two monologues yesterday, so I don't have a full one today uh, because I was in a bunch of meetings. But I will tell you I got so much feedback on the second one I did yesterday on the abuse and use, use and abuse of language and the insanity that it is driving us through, where you now have human beings not only just calling themselves these new pronouns that no one can even de- de- even 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 pronounce from Z to Z to Fe, which are spelled differently. By the way, Z and Z are spelled differently. Uh, Fe and Fair and M and Ire and Air and Ire, which are also spelled differently. But also, where certain humans want to be referred to as leaf, sun, and star. These are non-self pronouns. And I went into the absurdity of all of this. You gave me such good feedback on it. Two, two stories of relevance. Uh, in Virginia, the Fairfax County schools I see from Fox News are now thwarting the governor's orders, uh, Governor Glenn Youngkin's orders, which required all school systems in Virginia to allow only ac- – uh, which would require all school activities to all school athletic activities to be separated by sex and that student participation be restricted to the sex that was given to them at birth. I hate this assigned language, assigned to them at birth. I guess if you can say given, you can say assigned, but it wasn't given or assigned by a doctor. It was given or assigned by something much larger than a doctor, okay? Um, so anyway, we'll deal with that language as as we have to. But the Fairfax County Schools said no to that, as they also said no to the governor's edict and order that requires all students to use a bathroom that corresponds with the sex of their birth. I guess that's how we'll say it, the sex you were born with. Um, So the governor did something commonsensical that probably four years ago no one would even contemplate would have had to have been a thing, which is saying, hey, guess what? You know that little sign that says boys on the the restroom uh, door? That's just for boys. And the one that says girls, that's just for girls. 
and if a girl goes into a boy, but more likely the boy goes into the girl, we're going to have a problem. That would have been commonsensical as recently as three, four years ago. Um, it's no longer commonsensical because common sense is no longer in the mainstream. Glenn Youngkin tried to restore the common sense of three years ago, and Fairfax, uh, Fairfax uh, school system, the Fairfax school district, is now thwarting that, saying we will not be abiding by the governor's orders here, orders of common sense, orders of public safety, frankly, orders of women's safety and young girls' safety. Um, but also we now have a piece from a professor uh, at the University of uh, Houston who's been on our show before, Adam Elwinger, just published uh, over at The American Mind on language games we play. This is really interesting. Uh, he goes into, uh, it's obvious that, uh, he, he starts with the phrase, you may have heard it, sex work. Have you heard of the phrase sex worker? You have not heard of the phrase. Young David has not heard of the phrase sex worker. Are we talking about Perhaps you're not an night? informed consumer. What? Are we talking about ladies of the night? We are. They are now referred to as sex workers. And he was reading something, and it gave him pause on this. He said it's obvious that almost everyone who uses the term sex work is committed to the left wing of politics, but their political motives become even clearer when you consider the phrases that the new terminology is meant to displace. Until very recently, the polite terms for what David said were prostitution or escorting or, yes, ladies of the night. There were less uh, polite words, which we don't need to get into here, which I probably can't use here. The effort to substitute these older terms with sex work is part of the leftist effort to destigmatize, normalize, and dignify the sale of sex, prostitution. But it gets worse than that. The left often tries to bully us into changing the language we use to describe reality. That's what it's all about, Charlie Brown, normalizing delusion and normalizing anti-common sense. Their well-worn admonition that the words we use really do matter shows they understand how addiction shapes our experience of the world. In 1950, it wouldn't have been uncommon to refer to someone who couldn't walk properly by a different word than we use now. So... We've replaced things like handicapped to all kinds of other neologisms. And perhaps there's nothing quite wrong with that because it doesn't come with any kind of, uh, what, inherent or endemic uh, negative. There's nothing inherent or endemic about something you have no control over. There's nothing inherently bad or wrong with any kind of, shall we say, immutable characteristic. Um by 1990, the word disabled replaced handicapped, for example. Disabled didn't suggest a bodily defect. It merely suggested that there were certain activities that the person was unable to perform. It's also true of every able-bodied person on the planet. So the term had a neutrality that made it attractive and, of course, more than defensible. But now think about other things. Can we think about illegal alien? Only a few decades ago, the phrase illegal illegal alien was common and accepted. However, many uneducated Americans were ignorant of the older usage of the word alien, so it sounded to some like we were dehumanizing people by comparing them to spacemen. We switched to using the term illegal immigrant, but there were still problems. After all, we got the no human is illegal, as they say, right? We had to politicize it. 
Further, immigration is something that the government is formally tasked with regulating, and leftists don't want it to be regulated. Obviously, then, more changes were in order. So next, they went with undocumented persons, which was extremely vague and neutral, hinting that the person in question had made a simple mistake like leaving home without a wallet, right? Merely an undocumented person. But still, un had a negative connotation, and undocumented begs the question of which documents they don't have. And worse, why they don't have them. By the time of the Obama administration, the official phrase was migrant workers. A migrant is just someone who moves around, and Americans highly value freedom of movement. But what are they doing while they move around? Working. The Protestant work ethic that has been at the core of American identity insists upon the virtue of hard work. Thus, the illegal alien is reconstituted as a paragon of industry and individualism. Is it any coincidence that as we softened and neutralized this terminology and thereby valorized the persons to whom it referred, our nation became less and less able to meaningfully address the problem of illegal immigration? Rhetorical manipulation is a power that the left has applied to issue after issue, and it is a gambit that we need to grow more courageous in resisting. The one I have seen most lately has to do with justice-involved persons. No longer prisoners, no longer convicts, no longer ex-prisoners, no longer ex-convicts. Justice-involved persons, which could, as far as I'm concerned, apply to a criminal even as he's being arrested. The contemporary left, though, has forgotten that stigmas do serve a purpose. In their insistence that all stigma is bad— They deny the historical fact that stigmas typically develop around social processes and practices that harm the community and the individual in some way. By eliminating stigma, they expose our society to the many threats and harms that those stigmas were meant to guard against. For people who claim to be obsessed with personal safety, this is an amazingly puzzling habit. We'll have more to say about this on the other side of this break. I'm Seth Leibson, and our phone number is 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Welcome back, 602-508-0960. Got some callers. I've got you in just one moment. I wanted to finish my uh, take on the uh, obstruction of language. David, you can hear me okay? Okay. Um, From uh, Professor Adam Ellwinger. On my end, as I said, we're working through a few things. All good. Um, Adam Ellwinger, professor of English at the University of Houston, he said the primary tactic for breaking stigmas is, on the left, the manipulation of language and rhetoric. By attempting to change the words, that's what it was, What was that? What did we do? Just move on, move on, move along. (laughs) By attempting to change the words we use to describe reality, the left aims to change the way we see it. They blind us to the truth. When we resist these efforts, they use other weapons to neutralize our resistance, politeness and shame. If we refuse the terms differently abled or migrant worker, if we insist upon traditional uh, words for a sex worker, they say that we are being hateful, impolite, intolerant. No one wants to be viewed as such. So many people fall into line. Of course, it's easier to go along. I think Dennis Prager said the natural default of the human being is cowardice. They use the new words, but in so doing, they help give birth to the world 
that the liberals and the leftists demand, one with a language without truth. Conceive of that for a moment. Think on that for a moment. Language without truth. It actually is the end of language. A society without stigma and a world full of the dysfunction and suffering that necessarily follows. I'll say it again. Quoting Ralph Waldo Emerson. The fall of man is preceded by the fall of language. That being said, let's go to do, 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 John in Phoenix. Hello, John. Hi, Seth. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? Great. I listened yesterday as you had like three John and Phoenixes call you in a row, I think, yesterday, and I'm I'm not one of them. Oh, my one. goodness gracious. I Okay. All right. It... You kind of have to know that as between a John and a Seth, there's going to be more Johns. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Right. My phone is loaded with, there's only one Seth in my phone and it's you. I love it. How many Johns are in your phone? About seven or eight. There we go. There we go. Yeah. And and you still are in my phone as Seth and Chris show. Uh-huh. 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 That tells you how long I've been listening. I love it. Thank you, sir. Hey, um, so... One more example that the far-left verbal contortionists have uh, used to malign language lately, that would be the term uh, white nationalist. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Tommy, Tommy Tuberville stepped in this, Senator Tuberville, uh, and I don't, I don't know if he ever got this resolved. I didn't hear how this has come out lately for him. Um, if you want to recap that story, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but... Um, to me, the term means a white person who is a nationalist. And I don't know why they even have to use the term white nationalist. Just call us nationalists because I don't think color matters. I think but, that's the problem. Um, that, yeah, that's what hung up Tuberville, if I'm not mistaken. If you just didn't have the word yeah. white, there would be no problem. Well, well I say that. There is a problem. I'll let you finish. Yeah, go ahead. You go ahead. Go they, ahead. They, 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 can, they uh, mixed it up with the term white nationalism. Right which I think kind of leans towards some sort of a white supremacy theory uh, in America that white people are supposed to stay in charge or something. I, I don't know. I don't subscribe to that. I don't believe in that. But my use, I think what they were doing was they were referring to nationalist people of the nationalist uh, political ideology who happened to be white. And I think that's who Tuberville was sticking up for. I, I, yes, yes, he was just un. Yes, he was unschooled and uneducated in what the term had come to stand for over time, and he didn't. Yes, that's right. He shouldn't have said it he, probably, he, but he was just yes. I he and he stood by it too come long. To stand for yeah. the key word is come to stand for over time. It didn't mean that. Two years ago, four, four well, years ago. Well, it might know. have. Let, let me let me let me distill it, and you tell me where I get this oh, wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, stay oh, with yeah. me. Tell me if I got this wrong. White nationalist does have a meaning to it, and it and it and it's a long meaning, a long time meaning, and it is not a good one. Obviously, it it does stand for a certain form of racism, uh, based on uh, Caucasian or white the white race, uh, a white supremacy, if you will. It does have that meaning going back a very long time. What Tommy Tuberville didn't know was just that, because what he has been schooled in is the debate over the term nationalist. Nationalist has become a pejorative in a way it probably should never have become. But for the 
a nationalist is simply someone who believes it should come with no stigma whatsoever. It's someone who believes in the rightness and greatness of their country. If you read Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, Abraham Lincoln was a nationalist. I don't think any of us should have a problem on left or right with Abraham Lincoln. But the left does because they don't believe what Lincoln believed, which was this country was exceptional. So they don't like the term nationalist. And to make it even worse, they added the term white when none of us were using the term white nationalist. None of us. Now, they have corrupted it so much to stand for a Nazi theology or a Nazi philosophy that at ASU, 39 professors called Dennis Prager a white nationalist just as they at the L.A. Times called uh, Larry Elder the black face of white supremacy. So, you know, this whole business of white and black needs to be excised from our language altogether. If you want race neutrality, join the Republican Party. If you want race neutrality, join the conservative movement. The problem the left has with us is they don't want race neutrality, and they don't believe that this is an exceptional country. They have a problem with us getting rid of race, and they have a problem with us standing up for the nation we know as the United States of America. That's what it's all about. Okay, well, I, I'm probably more along the lines of Tommy Tuberville. I don't believe that white even belongs in there. It doesn't. I never associated. It, it, it doesn't. If someone called me a white nationalist, I just thought they were degrading my white heritage and calling and and as well as nationalism. Okay, I see what you're saying. It comes from the left. I know what they mean, and yeah. I don't agree with it. I see what you're saying. I see what you're one, saying. One more quick example. It, it does. Could. It does have a much longer pedigree, though. It does. It really does. But in it, but fair enough. Go on. Go on. One more quick example. I have two dictionaries that I've had for over forty years. I know one is the New American Standard, and I forget. I think the other one's a Funk and Wagnall. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, if you look up fascist in those two dictionaries from 40 years ago, it says nothing about right wing. Yeah, I know. It describes the ideology. If you I, look know. Up fascist I know. In a dictionary from the last uh, five or 10 years, they all say right wing. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 Go look at really what Benito Mussolini was talking about when he was talking about his fascist movement and what the fascists were. The sticks tied together, the bundle of sticks. Absolutely right. And as long as we're talking along those terms and doing a little history, John, let's break down the acronym Nazi while we're at it, because it stands for National Socialism. Thank you, John. We'll be right back. Do I need to bring up this issue? Did you do this deliberately to me? I love the song. I love the musician. It's not an issue. It's an issue. All right. What's the issue? The issue is you said this is the anniversary of the king's death. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden we get music from the king. Imagine that. I remember where I was when he died. Yeah? I do. I was in Boston, uh, family vacation. We were staying at the Howard Johnson's in Kenmore Square which is now owned by Boston University. Is it even a Howard Johnson? No, it's yeah. not. No, it's now it's a student something. It's either student, I think it's student, it might be student housing now, in Kenmore Square, Boston. And I remember it was a rainy, cloudy August day. Um, there's something weird sometimes about that. Have you noticed when a dark event happens, it's often also dark outside? Yeah. There's something about that. Yeah. And uh, there was. 
And uh, so I remember. So he was – people don't realize how young he was when he died. I think he was 42. He was in his 40s, yeah. Early 40s. Yeah. yeah. 42 years old, 43 at the most. Very unhealthy. Yeah. yeah. It was it was what he was doing to himself that made him look uh, so unhealthy, his obesity and his drug use, obviously, and his lifestyle. But, uh, you know, it's an interesting question I was talking about with someone a few years back about Elvis – he kind of had nowhere further to go hmm. when you think about his music. Oh, that's an interesting point. Yeah. His last big hit was Suspicious Minds, and that kind of music was on its way out. I suppose in the same way that you might have said about Sinatra, but he would spend the rest of his years touring Sinatra could because his body of work was so vast— I'll tell you what Elvis could have done. You know what I think Elvis was underrated as? I mean, I like all this stuff, but you know what I think he was really underrated with? His gospel music. I think his gospel music is some of his best work. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you there. You gave me a mountain this time. You ever heard that one? Yes, I do. I know that one. I I think with Elvis, he actually was doing it right. Okay. And I'll be the first to say I haven't seen that new movie, but by the late 60s, early 70s, he was out of the influence of Colonel Tom Parker. Yeah. And he had finally begun to get into concerts. He did that NBC, you know, Elvis comeback special in 68, because there was a time in the mid to later 60s, like 65, 66, 67, Elvis was a has-been. Right. He was still putting out music, but right. nobody saw him except like on Sinatra. He and Sinatra had the same problem. And then he revitalized himself yeah. in 68 and right. became like a youth icon once again. Mm-hmm. And he was selling out stadiums, you know, live from... Satellite from Hawaii. That was, but that was in the that was that was seventy two or three. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the, the Vegas scene with the jumpsuits. Yeah, seventies Elvis was jumpsuit Elvis. Yeah, yeah. Did we solve anything here? Solve anything? Yeah, no, we're just reporting on you know the tragic death of one of America's greatest musicians. Yeah, he really was an icon. It was a shock. It was a shock to people. Um, Homegrown. Yeah. Really, I had mixed feelings about the movie too. I did not see it. Yeah, you don't need to. Yeah, you, there are more important movies for you to see that you have not seen. Like all of Elvis's original movies, or which Jaws, I've seen many of. or Jaws. You haven't seen Jaws. I don't I, even I'm know. Working how we're on friends. that one. I've also got uh, a caller told me to listen to Swingers. Uh, I got mm. a lot of, a lot of. I got to work through. Yeah, most of Magna PI, the Rockford Files. Don't even get me started on the television side of things. <laughs> are you not up to date on the Rock? Are you behind on Rockford Files? I'm working on it, sir. It set off the Rockford Files. Set Rockford Files set off the entire genre of uh, private investigators who would become uh, people young men wanted to be like. Cool In some guys. respects, sex symbols, yeah. but more than that. Uh, until James Garner, I mean, no one wanted to be Nero Wolf. You know what I mean? No one wanted to be Barnaby Jones. Um, James Garner, you know, with the fast car at the time was a Pontiac Firebird, I think, mm-hmm. and his lifestyle living on the beach, of course, didn't hurt. And uh, that's why those guys, Balasario, they tested Tom Selleck on the Rockford Files. He had two two appearances on the Rockford yes, Files. Yes, he was the, the Lance rival White. private investigator. Yeah, Lance, he drove around at the Cadillac, Colorado. That's, right. <laughs> that's right, Lance White. And they kind of tested him in that role. For Magnum, and then Magnum PI really set off that situation when that led to uh, the two brothers. Um, what was their names? Uh, something Simon and Simon, uh, and of course Piers Brosnan. 
Uh, Remington Bru- Steel. Remington yeah, Steel. Bruce Willis and Moonlighting. Moonlighting. Yeah, like that, that, that didn't exist yeah. until Jim Rockford and Tom Selleck. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Um, that was the old Resist the Drift ad. That was the old language because you gave me a new live read for it with the updated speaking of language. With the updated wording. With the emendations, the appro- appropriate emendations. We are no longer saying snack on delicious appetizers. We are saying snack on delicious hors d'oeuvres. And um, based on yesterday's contretemps over that. But yes, again, we are uh, teaming up with Focus on the Family for a great marriage conference. It's on August 25th and 26th. It's at Central Christian Church in Gilbert. More information at 960thepatriot.com, of course, and we're giving away some exclusive VIP tickets for the conference where you and your spouse can be one of 10 lucky couples who get to attend the conference on the house, and five couples will be invited to attend our pre-conference VIP meet-and-greet reception hosted by me. And then, of course, you will have the opportunity to meet speakers Greg and Aaron Smalley, and we will have hors d'oeuvres. Not delicious snacks, hors d'oeuvres. Delicious hors d'oeuvres. Yes, of course. Delicious hors d'oeuvres. 960thepatriot.com for all your information. Okay, where am I going next if I don't mess it up? There's a little arrow. Yes, it's Rick in Phoenix. Hello, Rick. Hello there, Seth. How are you today, my friend? I'm fine, sir. How are you? Good. I like that uh, iconic... uh, uh, Bumper music from uh, Rockford Files. <laughs> that, that's great. I loved. I always loved that that music uh, from that show. So it, it was a great show. And uh, let me think a moment. Um, who was who was the who was his friend who was all Angel? The guy who played Angel was always in trouble. Oh yeah. That uh-huh. that actor. He died about two years ago. And uh, he was an interesting guy. He was actually an, uh, a a fairly a fairly accomplished songwriter in his own right. Oh. Believe it or not, I'm blanking on his name. I'll think That's of it. Fascinating. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll yeah. think of it anyway. I uh, I enjoyed uh, your conversation, you and you and David too, uh, about the King, uh, and and I could hear David very well. So I don't know if you fixed something on that or, oh, yeah. or what. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've been playing around with some new technology around here. So we're, there's a, a few small, small kinks, but very small, and we're working them out uh, piecemeal. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, it was it was much better because I could hear the whole conversation, not just half of it. Oh, okay, good, 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 good. <laughs> and uh, speaking of language, have you ever seen the the comic comedy movie with Dick Van Dyke called Never a Dull Moment? No. Okay, uh, Slim Pickens is one of the comical bad guys in that. Yeah, and he's running around <laughs> at this reception, offering everyone ordovers. Oh, okay. All like, right. Would All you right. like to have some ordovers? Yeah, 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 yeah. Ordovers. Okay. All right. All right. So. <laughs> When you start talking about hors d'oeuvres, it just reminded me of that. It's hilarious. So, okay, what I was calling about actually is language. Yes, sir. And uh, your monologue, uh, I thought yesterday was was really 
really good. Thank you. And uh, the uh, explanation that you read from that professor professor a uh, little bit earlier in the program today, I thought was really spot on. It really really hit what what's going yeah, on yeah. and what the problem is. Yeah. And it occurred to me that uh, maybe maybe the simple explanation, although I'm sure there's lots of motiv- different motivations in, involved, but maybe the simplest explanation is uh, one thing that Dennis Prager says often, that uh, uh, truth is not uh, a leftist value. That's correct. And, uh, and I, it, I, it reminded me that it seems that for much of this language business going on, that the uh, objective is to obfuscate. Mm-hmm. And obfuscate is defined as Fuddling. to make obscure, yep. unclear, or unintelligible. Right, right. And so the more they can do that, the, the more chaos and confusion it creates. And it also gives those who are in the know or in the power, it gives them something to bully everybody else about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me, you remember way back during uh, President Obama's presidency, there was this big push on stopping bullying. Yes. In fact, uh First Lady Michelle was that was her, one of her big things was to stop bullying. Yes, yes. And now we have come uh, around full 180 degrees to where the leftists and the Democrats and the you know the the woke folks and everybody they they their main tactic is to bully the rest of us of course. if you don't call me by my correct pronouns or designation or whatever. Of course that's right. And the bullying comes with sanction. It comes with punishment. You could lose your job. You could get fired. You could be canceled. You could lose your account online. Oh, my gosh. Listen yeah. to this, by the way. Do you know how widespread it is? I meant to do this yesterday. I had a caller. Oh, my gosh. Please tell me I have the email handy. I meant to keep it handy. A uh-huh. caller. Yes, here it is. Uh, we have a listener in our in our crowd named Joe. He lives um, in the Valley. Uh-huh. And he wrote uh, on a comment section of the Wall Street Journal on an article. You know how some articles on newspapers have com- allow you to make comments on them? Oh, yes. Okay, yes. so he wrote a comment, and his comment, quote-unquote, from the Wall Street Journal, quote, violates the community guidelines and has been rejected. Can I tell you what got rejected, what the comment was that violated the Wall Street Journal's community guidelines? Here it is. I would be very interested. You got it. Here it is. Not safe of late. There's much crime, but still nowhere as to my home city, Chicago. See the book American Cultural Revolution by Chris Rufo. Lack of civility, right from wrong, is pervasive. The left owns most every institution but talk radio, and they want to eliminate AM from cars to suppress conservative talk or thought. Heck, Arizona is no longer reliably conservative. Our sitting governor would not even debate our GOP candidate. Katie Hobbs pulled a Joe Biden and won. We barely hold the state Senate and House. 
both federal senators, not GOP. AZ, now an appendage of crazy California. What could possibly have been violative of community standards in that, wow. in that, in that? And I have, he sent me the exact screenshot. This was not edited by him. This was not cleaned up by him. It was the kind of talk. It was, it was a call you could have made, uh, yeah. uh, Rick. I, yeah. I got to take a break. Don't go away. Let me okay. let me take the break, and it'll allow me to see if I still know how to use this newfangled phone here. <laughs> we'll be okay. right back. This was never authorized. This was never authorized. That goes right away. Out, 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 damn spot with that. Sorry for the French. No. You can't just do that. I gave you a library of 2,000 great songs, and then you come in with, no, with that with that clang, with that dysphonic, no. All right, but I better not catch you singing that in your spare time. I, you will not. You won't catch me humming it. You won't catch me singing it. You won't catch it on my radio show ever again. Cacophony. This is why I call you contumacious. This is why I call you refractory. This is our problem, dude. Hi, Rick. Sorry about that. How are you? Perfectly okay. May I suggest that you replace that song, since you don't like it, with She Wore in It. No. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. This is still... I. This is your show, but it's in part my show. <laughs> Seth, I love you, brother. You are great. There are certain truths. There are rights and wrongs. We were talking about rights and wrongs. We're not yeah, a yeah, lot. Okay. Right. By the way, uh, one thing I wanted to tell you, Rick, there's yes. this. Uh, you, the, you were talking about how they like to obfuscate and obscure. There's this great French historian, Henry Locard, who yes. said um, the Maoist revolution, the cultural revolution, was the triumph of obscuritanism. And um, ah, this, this is wow. kind of interesting. You think about some of these, these wars against the intellectuals, if you will, people that yes. in those days when intellectuals were a little bit more trustworthy because they could tell right from wrong or they knew you know, good from bad. Yes. Remember there's the story of Pol Pot and the Maoists of Kampuchea, you know, North Korea. They would target people and seize their reading glasses. So oh, yeah. you couldn't read or think I, for yourself, which I was kind of hearing about. Yeah, that. right, 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 right. Which is kind of um, kind of the same point that was being made by Kurt Vonnegut in in in, in Harry Bergeron or mm-hmm. in or in Orwell. Um, uh, how could you make appeal to the future when not a trace of you, not even an anonymous word scribbled on a piece of paper could physically survive? It's a war against intelligence. Yeah. This is the history revision. This is the change of language. It's a war against intelligence. All the while, they tell us they're the smart ones, and we're the, and we're the dumb ones who need a need our yeah. n- need our minds elevated and our consciences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah anyway, that's, that's right. That's right. Say, Seth, uh, just a, a quick side note. Yes, sir. Have you heard anything about, or do you know anything about Mike Lindell's uh, election? Uh, a little pro- bit, a little program. bit, a little bit, a little bit. Are you gonna? Are you ever gonna talk? Are you gonna talk about that? Maybe. Okay. Thanks, man. <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> okay, have some more duvers. Okay, <laughs> bye. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.